Welcome back to Occasional Randomness. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and join me as always is my fellow co-host, somebody who's not from a galaxy far, far away, Jason Johnson. Yeah, you know, after all of our travels lately, I'm not even sure if I'm from a galaxy near, near at this point. Yeah, and plus with daylight savings time just kicking in, it's like, what, what time am I? Where am I? What? Yeah, yeah. Welcome to darkness and misery. Yeah. Welcome to it's five o'clock. It's pitch black. Wait a minute. Great idea. Yeah. All right. So now that we're uh, back from vacations, as we mentioned there a second ago, and illnesses and whatever else, tonight we are finally going get, to get to the Star Wars Ahsoka Season 1 podcast recap episode. And here we are. Yeah. Only slightly delayed due to, we'll just call it hyperspace travel. Yeah. Hyperspace lag. Yeah. Is that a thing? Anyway. There's got to be some jet lag involved in that. I would think you're happening across half a galaxy in like a couple of weeks. I and mean, I figured that would, you know, you're going pretty fast. I don't know. Anywho, as always, if you like what we do here, please give us a like or a review wherever you listen to this or help spread the word to your friends and let people know about this wonderful podcast that we do here every couple of weeks. As always, we appreciate it. Yeah, four months. As always, we appreciate it. Any free publicity we can get our hands on. All right, so we'll, uh, in case you've forgotten what happened during season one of Ahsoka, or it's been a while since you watched these, we'll do our quick little episode recap and then jump into the discussion parts. So we start where we usually start at the beginning of things, at the beginning. Uh, so Ahsoka season one, episode one, Master and Apprentice. Always two there are. Yeah, <laughs> at least now there are. So we open with Balin Skull, a former Jedi now working as a mercenary, and his apprentice, Shin Hatai, assaulting a New Republic cruiser to rescue Morgan Elsbeth. And if you remember her, she was previously captured by Ahsoka back in Mandalorian Season 2, Chapter 13, The Jedi. Morgan informs Balin that Ahsoka is searching for Grand Admiral Thrawn, who has been missing for years after previously being defeated by Ezra Bridger. And of course, that was back in the Star Wars Rebels season finale, or actually series finale. Ahsoka and Huang, their her robot friend, have obtained a star map to the location of Thrawn, and probably Ezra, before being informed of Morgan's escape. They regroup with the New Republic fleet, and Ahsoka meets with General Hera Sedula, whereupon Huang reveals that the star map is still locked and they can't open it. Hera advises Ahsoka to obtain the help of Sabine Wren, Ahsoka's former Padawan, hmm, more in that minute, in unlocking the map. Ahsoka and Huang travel to Lothal and meet with Sabine, who, of course, takes the map and leaves without telling Ahsoka. And just as she unlocks the map back in her quarters, house, whatever you want to call it, where she lives, she's confronted by Shin, who steals the map and stabs Sabine through her body with a lightsaber during a duel. <laughs> Oops. Which leads us into episode two, Toil and Trouble. Balin and Shin take the map to the planet Setos, where Morgan reveals that Thrawn is trapped in another galaxy. See, Wales previously. Sabine recovers and informs Ahsoka of her findings, and also traces the droids that attacked her to Morgan's factories on Corellia. Seeking the map, Ahsoka and Hera travel to the Corellian shipyards, where they discover a massive hyperdrive being built by workers loyal to the Galactic Empire. Hera chases after the transport carrying the hyperdrive, while Ahsoka duels Merrick, a former Inquisitor working for Morgan. Merrick and the transport escape, but not before Hera's astromech droid Chopper attaches a tracking device. After arresting the shipyard workers, Ahsoka is contacted by Sabine, who is ready to become her Padawan again, and find Ezra. Morgan is contacted by Balin, Shin, and Merrick, who obtain the hyperdrive so they can finish building her ship 
the Eye of Scion, and find Thrawn. Which then leads us into episode three, Time to Fly. So Sabine restarts her training under Ahsoka and Hu Yang's guidance, and she struggles with her inability to use the Force. Hera, meanwhile, meets with Chancellor Mon Mothma and a group of influential, question mark, senators in order to gain permission to send Republic forces to Sitos. Despite Mon Mothma's support, the senators refuse to believe that Thrawn and Ezra are alive and deny Hera's request. What a surprise. However, Ahsoka, Sabine, and Hu Yang travel to Sitos anyway, where they discover the Eye of Sion, but are intercepted by a squadron of fighters led by Shin and Marok as Morgan uses turbo laser cannons on the Eye of Sion to fire at them. Just as Hu Yang finishes scanning the Eye of Sion, Ahsoka's shuttle takes a direct hit, forcing the group to make an emergency landing on the planet Sitos. However, they pass through a pod of Purgal, space whales, in its skies along the way to evade the remaining enemy fighters. After taking refuge in a forest, Hu Yang gives his full analysis on the Eye of Sion, which he classifies as a hyperspace ring designed to travel to another galaxy. However, Shin soon becomes aware of their attempt to hide, prompting Balin to dispatch his forces into the woods to hunt them down. Taking us into Episode 4, Fallen Jedi. Ahsoka thinks about the implications of reaching Thrawn and Ezra, giving Sabine pause since she remains determined to find her friend. Moments later, they're attacked by several of Balin's forces, but are able to quickly dispatch them. Fearing that Morgan and Balin will acquire the coordinates to Thrawn's location, Ahsoka and Sabine head to their base, but are intercepted by Shin and Merrick. Ahsoka kills Merrick and continues on alone, while Sabine stays behind to hold off Shin, who realizes that Sabine cannot wield the Force. Ahsoka reaches Balin and the two engage in a duel. Ahsoka is able to retrieve the map, but she drops it after it burns her hand. Balin overpowers and sends Ahsoka plummeting into the ocean as Sabine watches in horror. Sabine then holds the map at gunpoint, but Balin manipulates her into handing it over by promising that she will see Ezra again. After Thrawn's location is revealed, Balin destroys the map and boards the Eye of Sion with Shin and Sabine, who is now their prisoner. A squadron of New Republic fighters, led by Hera, arrives at Setos and tries to stop the Eye of Sion from jumping into hyperspace, but fails to do so. Meanwhile, Ahsoka awakens in the World Between Worlds, where she is seemingly reunited with her former master, Anakin Skywalker. Dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Which then takes us into the second half of the season and episode 5, Shadow Warrior. While searching Setos for Ahsoka and Sabine alongside his mother, Jason Sedula, remember him? It's vaguely from the last episode of Rebels, senses that Ahsoka is in the world between worlds. In there, Anakin explains to Ahsoka that he has been watching her through the Force and says that her loss against Balin is partially due to her unresolved guilt over events that drove them apart. Ahsoka then loses a duel with Anakin and relives fragments of her past during the Clone Wars, during which she grows concerned that her legacy will only be one of fighting and violence. Believing Anakin's teachings included his legacy as Darth Vader, she initially refuses Anakin, which leads to yet another duel between them. Finally, though, she understands that she wasn't involved in Anakin's downfall, and she chooses to live and continue fighting. She uh, either wakes up or gets transported back to the real world, and is recovered by Hera's crew in the ocean, and through her power, she learns that Sabine is with Balin. Meanwhile, Hera is contacted by Mon Mothma, who informs her that New Republic forces are en route to take her and Ahsoka into custody for performing an unauthorized mission. As the Republic fleet detachment arrives, Ahsoka recruits a pod of Pergil to take her and Hu Yang to the other galaxy, while Hera, Jason, and Chopper stay behind. Taking them into Episode 6, Far, Far Away. The Eye of Scion arrives on Peridia, the ancient homeworld of Morgan Esbitt's people, the Dothmiri. 
Morgan, Balin, and Shin, and Sabine meet the Great Mothers, a group of Night Sisters allied with Thrawn. As they wait for the Grand Admiral, Balin relates to Shin his belief that the fall of the Jedi and the rise of the Empire were part of an inevitable cycle, one he intends to break. Thrawn arrives aboard his Star Destroyer, the Chimera, and honors Balin's promise by providing Sabine with provisions, amount, and Ezra's whereabouts. After Sabine leaves, Thrawn orders Balin and Shin to follow her so they can kill both her and Ezra. Surviving an ambush by bandits, Sabine encounters the native Noti and follow them to their village, where she finally reunites with Ezra. While tracking Sabine, Balin senses that there is a greater power on Peridia and tells Shin that he intends to find and use it. As the Great Mothers sense Ahsoka's imminent arrival, Thrawn demands all the details of her history from Morgan and prepares his defenses. And then in the penultimate episode, episode 7, Dreams and Madness. Back on Coruscant, Hera is facing a disciplinary hearing, with tribunal member Senator Hamado Ziono objecting to her reports of the secret Imperial Remnant's conspiracy. Surprise guest star C-3PO arrives and provides the tribunal with a fake authorization by Senator Leia Organa, forcing the court to absolve Hera and Mamathma to consider the threat of an Imperial resurgence. Arriving at Peridia, the Perkles run into a minefield left by Thrawn's forces and retreat. Continuing on alone, Ahsoka and Huang are attacked by enemy fighters and hide in the debris field. Morgan informs Thrawn that Ahsoka was trained by Anakin Skywalker, compelling the Grand Admiral to adopt a more calculated approach. Ahsoka locates Sabine through the Force and heads towards the planet's surface, wherein Ezra, Sabine, and the Noti are attacked by Shin, the local bandits, and Thrawn's night troopers, while Balin just leaves to pursue his own agenda. See ya, bye. <laughs> Peace out. Yeah. <laughs> Ahsoka's intervention forces Thrawn to withdraw his remaining night troopers and prepare his imminent departure. Ahsoka invites Shin, who has been left behind, to join them, but she flees anyway. Ahsoka then reunites with Sabine and Ezra. Aww, they're together again. Lots of hugs all around. And we wrap things up with Episode 8, The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord. Great title, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the best title of like any Star Wars thing ever. <laughs> yeah, I hope the person who wrote that one got a raise, because that's pretty good. To confront the Jedi, Morgan is gifted Mother Talzin's sword by the Great Mothers, while Ezra builds a new lightsaber using spare parts from his late master, Kanan Jarrus. After their ship is damaged by a fighter attack, Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ezra make their way on foot to the Chimera, which is docked with the Eye of Sion. They are confronted by Morgan and the Night Troopers, whom the Great Mothers keep resurrecting after they are killed. Sabine uses the Force to help Ezra jump onto the Chimera, then she stays behind to help Ahsoka, who kills Morgan. The Eye of Sion jumps to hyperspace, leaving Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ho-Young stranded on Peridia. Shen joins the bandits, while Balin is guided to a mountain by a statue of the Mortis gods. As Thrawn and the Great Mothers arrive on Dothamir, Ezra sneaks out and reunites with Hera and Chopper. Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ho-Young join the Noti and make their new home on Peridia watched over by Anakin's Force Spirit. And that is the end of Season 1, which hopefully is not the only season, because that's a gigantic, massive kind of cliffhanger ending there. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they pick this up and do something with it. Yeah, I, mean, I think as we record this, there's still various writer strikes still active, so if they are going to do a Season 2, <laughs> hey, your guess is as good as ours when it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately the timeline for future Star Wars shows is kind of murky. Yep, the future is cloudy. Yeah, it's either the dark side or my magic eight ball's broken. I'm yeah. not sure which. 
Ask again later. Yeah. <laughs> so, so before we jump into kind of going over the episodes and stuff, I just want to know, like, what's the fascination with maps in these post-Return of the Jedi movies and TV shows? There's a map, like the whole central point of Force Awakens was you had to find Luke with this map that's, that R2-D2 had. There was some, like, Sith map compass thing in Rise of Skywalker. And now this overly complicated map to get to a galaxy. And this wasn't just, like, a regular map. These are, like intricate 3D puzzle-like maps. I, I mean, I guess people think that's what's keeping with the theme of Star Wars lately, so they keep on going with it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be an, an interesting way to try to figure out navigation and things like that. I think it, in my opinion, maybe I'm misremembering, but I think it started, I don't know which came first, but I feel like the Solo movie had a lot of it too. So maybe that was kind of after The Force Awakens or before or whatever. But, you know, that that was one of the ones that was kind of like, Really, we're going to, you know, uh, they kind of had to do something to come up with parsecs, and it just all kind of spiraled downhill from there. Yeah, and even to get this map here on, on Ahsoka, she had to go through, I guess, like a Dathomiri temple or something and solve a puzzle and do things. It's like, you know, which is fun. It's like, you know, you got, you got your Indiana Jones kind of stuff. You got your Star Wars. You know, you mix them all together and, you know. That, that's what I was going to say. You know, I actually really enjoyed that because it was like, you know, you got your peanut butter and my chocolate or chocolate and my peanut butter. Now you've got my, your uh, Indiana Jones and my Star Wars or vice versa. So, <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> so that's how they're going to get back to their our galaxy. They're going to go into a refrigerator with a nuclear bomb. No, wait a minute. Never mind. <laughs> different, hmm. different thing. <laughs> or maybe a crystal skull or some other magical artifact in a warehouse. Yeah. With, with top men. Top men. <laughs> All right, so enough of being funny, sarcastic. Well, we'll, we'll see, but for now. <laughs> oh, don't make promises. <laughs> hey, you know, I am what I am. You know, what, what can I say? <laughs> All right, so right off the bat with in, in the first episode, after the big escape scene with Morgan, which, you know, yeah, okay. You know, our, our Imperial, our, our, our New Republic guy being too over, overconfident there and getting steamrolled by, you know, two Jedi, quote-unquote. But anyway. anyway, so we start our live-action trip down Star Wars Rebels memory lane. So we get to meet Hera in real real life, so to speak. He tells Ahsoka to go to Lothal, the name drop again of the central planet of Rebels, to see Sabine. And then we see Sabine doing what Sabine does, her own thing. <laughs> ignoring things she doesn't want to do or ignoring people she doesn't want to deal with, like appearing at this remembrance celebration and giving a speech, which, yeah, I mean, I don't like speeches either, so I can see why she wants to skip that. But side note, though, I did love the mural that was behind where the governor was, like where the speech was happening. Where they had, like the cast of rebels in the animation style of the show, like on a mural, I thought that was awesome. It was like a nice tip of the cap to that show. Yeah, and really nice. I mean, I know Star Wars takes some flack, and these shows take some flack by keep reusing locations. You know, it's it's a big galaxy, and we keep revisiting the same planets. But in this case, man, you got to give them credit for for bringing Lothal to life, right? I mean, if if you made your way through all the seasons of Rebels and were let that crew kind of grow on you and become you know, part of the, your Star Wars mythos. Yeah, this this was a really cool, you know, good to see uh, Hera in person. They did a really good job with the casting of Sabine. I, I thought that was some, some really good casting. And having her back on Lothal in uh, the tower where we originally met Ezra, right? Because that was Ezra's home at the beginning of the first episode of Rebels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you kind of get to tie everything together. So that was, that was some really nice touches in, in history. Yeah, they do a good job of explaining it if you're not a Rebels fan, but man, if you were, you got a lot out of this episode. 
Yeah, because there wasn't much you had to necessarily know about Rebels, even throughout this whole series. Although they, some of the things are pretty confusing, like the world between worlds and the statues at the end, you know, that kind of stuff. We'll be like, huh, I don't get it. But, you know, if you followed along between Clone Wars, because even, you know, Filoni's going deep back in the Clone Wars for some of the stuff, and Rebels, it's just, it's like Easter egg heaven. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I mean... The... We'll probably touch on it in the wrap up, but it's really cool to see them let let Filoni just cut loose and kind of weave the threads of all of his shows and stuff that he's been involved in into something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like whether he had that plan all along or it's just like, hey, I can finally wrap up this from here and that from here. And, and you know, besides just catching up with our, our friends from an animated show in real life now, we kind of get to learn more about what Sabine has been up to since the end of Rebels however long ago that was, a couple years, 10 years, or what, I can't remember, anyway. But apparently she became Ahsoka's apprentice for a little bit, but things didn't quite work out. And I don't know if that's because she was stubborn, I mean, because as we see here, you know, she's just doing what she always does, it's just her own thing, so Ahsoka gives her the map, it's like, hey, let me know when you get this taken care of, you know, stay here and let me know, and of course, no, she leaves, goes back to her place, or Ezra's place, whoever, you know, without telling anybody. And, uh, you know, that's going to continue on throughout this series so far, which we'll get to later. But, you know, Sabine's still Sabine, so she's she's now the live-action version of the animated character. Yeah, I mean, the characters are going to be themselves, and that's that's kind of good and bad in these cases, right? But uh, Mandalorian's got a Mandalore or something like that. I'm sure there's <laughs> a, a saying I should throw in there. But, you know, we, we do get to see her art style and her, you know, the fact that she's got that, uh, that approach. And I, they didn't really touch on it in this this show but you know if you remember in in rebels and some of the backstory we got sabine's you know pretty much a uh, world-class weapons designer i mean she designed a lot of stuff for the the empire uh before she joined the rebels and so her her capabilities at, at manipulating this tech and approaching things and figuring things out really kind of come in handy in certain spots like this yeah and i, I guess she's at least lost her uh, graffiti artist side of her her personality you know she's not tagging things anymore which would have been great to like have her like you know tag you know <laughs> something later like, <laughs> like oh well yeah if, if nothing else maybe in the the final clip when they're they're living amongst the nodi she could have had like a, a tagged up transport or something that would have been kind of funny yeah you know put some you know rebel graphics on there or something but yeah. <laughs> and i guess our, our final bit of uh lothal is uh at sabine's place we get to see her her friendly little pet loth cat which, you know, I love them in the show. I mean, you know, you always have to have your cutesy animals in Star Wars. I mean, you know, it's just a given, right? Unfortunately, we didn't get to see any Loth wolves. I would love to see them. But I have a theory we might get to later. Maybe we'll see them in season two. I don't know. I, I agree about the the Loth cat. The, it's really, they did a really good job of interpreting them in real life. Much better, in my opinion, than the ones you find in the, the Disney stores. Those are kind of creepy, so <laughs> uh, avoid. But you know, teach their own. I don't know. I, I think they're kind of sketchy toys but creepy toys you know but yeah these ones in the show look cute i wouldn't mind having one of those around yeah i mean when i was in you know disney a couple years ago when i met you the one time um i had to hunt and peck to find so to speak a um porg that didn't look like evil creepy you know looks at least looks like kind of happy <laughs> so <laughs> i'm like I don't, know yeah. how they, I don't know how they make these things but it's like you know it looks like he's like ready to like claw your eyes out i'm like i want one that looks at least, at least a little happy cheerful <laughs> so yeah, a, fr- a friend of mine's daughter is really into Star Wars, and uh, she's always been into the the Loth Cats and Ahsoka and all that and Rebels. But yeah, she's got a couple of the toys, and that, that they they're just kind of I don't know. 
Unsettling is the word I'll use. <laughs> and then uh, the ending of our first episode of, of course, to get the plot moving further along, because, you know, that's why we're here. And, you know, to find Thrawn and Ezra. The bad guys, of course, raid Sabine's place, because she's all by herself, to get the map. And she tries to duel Shin, you know, I guess Balin's fallen Jedi, or whatever he is, Padawan. And Sabine's lack of training over the years gets herself stabbed right through the torso, and the map's stolen. But, you know, of course, you know, she's not going to be dead off the first episode, because that would be way too much of a plot twist, even for Filoni and, and company. So, you know, she's got to survive to be, you know, to meet Ezra finally, at least. Yeah, and, and actually, I think I want to take a step back here and, and mention, I don't know if we want to call them Jedi or Grey Jedi or what, what they're actually supposed to be in this show, but the, the uh, Balin and, and his Padawan Shin, I think, are probably my favorite part of this series. Um, there's a, there's a lot of potential and I have a lot of questions and just this, they, there are so many things they can do with them, you know, from, from the orange lightsabers to how they interact with the force and all that, that I'd love to find more information on. So I hope they don't just drop that and we actually get some more info on it. Yeah. So we were talking before recording that, you know, obviously the, the actor that played uh, that Ray Stevenson who played Balin passed away after the filming. So it's like, you know, that character is still out there. So you can't just let him go. You have to you recast him obviously for season two, if that goes forward. So yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they have to finish that plot line because there is something there. And, and it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that the actor passed away for sure, personally, but at the, the same time, you know, it's, it's a real detriment to the show. Cause I just, you know, he, he nailed that, that character. And I, I kind of hate to, to, to see, they think that they wouldn't continue that on. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have to do something. So I guess we'll see how, how creative they can get. All right. And then uh, let's see. We learn in uh, episode two that you know, Thrawn and Ezra have been taken away to a whole completely different galaxy by the Pergol space whales that we talked about. It's at the, also far, far away. Yeah, that's really, really far, far away. At the end of Rebels. And uh, this map is, I guess, how to navigate hyperspace to get to that planet in the galaxy far, far away. To which Morgan is building a huge hyperspace ring ship using probably like f- five or six large hyperdrive engines that she's getting from her former shipyards her, that her family owns on Corellia. Hey, there's a way to use her family connections. I, I did love the, uh, like the, the smarmy manager of the shipyards. I thought whoever the actor was played it to the hilt of, you know, just like your, your typical, like middle manager, like schmoozy, just, <laughs> it was, he was great. Yeah. I think I've had to work for this guy before. Yeah. It's like anybody that's had managers, <laughs> I'm sure you probably <laughs> run into someone like this. You know, you know, he's trying his best to keep up the facade that, you know, it's nothing to see here. We're all just doing our jobs like we always did before, you know, and, you know, yeah, sure. You know, we had to keep all the old staff that were, you know, kind of empire loyalist kind of people because, you know, it's hard to find workers these days and, you know, we got to keep things going. And then Ahsoka kind of figures it all out and they're forced to attack her. Like literally everybody in that control room <laughs> attacks her. So it just goes to show, like we saw in the last Mandalorian season, that you really can't find all the Imperial sympathizers that are out there. They're everywhere and they're in all positions in all branches of civilian and military and political. They're everywhere. I know that, you know, they only had eight episodes to work with and there's so much they've got to cram into this, this show to keep it moving. And, and, you know, I think they did a pretty good job considering they only had episodes, but I, I would have liked to have seen, I think this was a, would have been a cool opportunity to kind of tie that into, like you say, the the thread that those, at least I felt like was dropped in the Mandalorian season, last season, about uh, those Imperial sympathizers, right? Because we got that whole single episode of the Mandalorian about the Imperial sympathizers and what it looks like for them on Coruscant. 
and it'd be kind of neat to to find a relationship here and actually see how that ties in besides just a really quick awesome but quick fight scene uh as they kind of had to fight everybody they found in that control room yeah i mean it's, it's kind of nice that they're kind of digging into like these like si- not side things but like how like things behind the scenes that like most of these, of these like sci-fi uh, space opera epics don't deal with like kind of like the the boots on the ground you know like the average people kind of thing like you know we have you know how the clones are doing post-war like you know they're, they're built for war and now they're just doing like thing normal jobs now and they can't handle it you know how yeah people who are you know kind of like the empire or at least it was stable you know was, things work you're like you know the, the trains ran on time to quote you know like a world war ii kind of thing you know <laughs> it's like you know it's like this is the way we're used to things it's like and how yeah they want to get back to what they know so it's kind of fun or interesting to see how like the whole overall narrative happens and develops of how it gets from empire to republic back to empire you know so i kind of like how they're kind of dropping these little things here and there and i think that's a that's a Filoni hallmark, right? I mean, he built uh, Clone Wars off of that concept. You know, hey, we remember all that stuff that that really should have happened in the middle where you actually got to meet meet all these troopers. And and that show wound up being more about the clones themselves than about the Jedi. And, you know, boots on the ground is a a great way of looking at it. Yeah, which all that was just a a throw off one line in A New Hope where, you know, Kenobi's like, you know, you fought in the Clone Wars? You know, and that was it. Yeah, I did. And that was it. It's like Clone Wars. What clones? Huh? What? Yeah. And and he did. I mean, maybe it's just my personal opinion, but I think he did so much better job in the Clone Wars animated series of getting that across than they did in the actual movies and the prequels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we get some more throwbacks to Rebels, where uh, Ahsoka gets to fight a former Inquisitor who has got those nice dual lightsaber ring weapons that they have. And if you've played some of the recent Star Wars computer games, you know, that you fight some Inquisitors too that have all those fun things. And of course, because if she beat him, there'll be the end of the episode in the series, uh, you know, he does escape with the final hyperdrive. But now we get also get to meet our final live action Rebels crew member that we haven't seen yet. Chopper, hey! Who's just as snarky and annoyed and curmudgeonly as ever. <laughs> yeah. So, but he's still useful as he throws, yes, throws a tracker from... The ghost, which is another ship we, you know, hey, there, there, that, there's that again, onto the fleeing transport before it escapes. So, hey, now all the all the band is here except Ezra yet. We haven't seen it. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. Yeah. One thing I I want to do and I haven't had a chance to do it yet, but uh, and I'll mention it again probably when we get to a later episode. But uh, I, I really want to go back and turn on subtitles. I don't know if you had them on when you watched it, but I I, I was watching a recap or or something on on the internet the other day and and saw that. Uh, it looked like maybe some of Chopper's dialogue actually gets explained down in the uh, subtitles. Hmm. So uh, I didn't have them on when I watched it, but now I want to go back and see if they actually have some of the stuff he said, you know, because that just would be ultimate entertainment for me. Yeah, because he, he does kind of speak in English. Well, not English, but, you know, whatever the basic word they call it. But, yeah, he's kind of, he, he can almost make out what he's saying, it's just, so yeah, which is actually voiced by Dave Filoni, too. So that's kind of funny. But anyway. <laughs> right, but, but actually, you know, but to see what, what he actually beta. says, yeah. <laughs> Versus like, you know, R2-D2 is like, you know, beep, 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 beep. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. Right. So uh, I don't know if they'll uh, asterisk out some of the language or what. Because I'm sure yeah. it's Chopper, <laughs> so it's not all. <laughs> yeah, it's like, can you bleep a droid? <laughs> right. so. That was the whole reason R2-D2 spoke in beeps, right? Yeah, because he was, he was swearing up a storm probably the 3PO or whatever. <laughs> So, like you would if you had to spend your whole life with 3PO. Yeah. yeah. You watch your language, you know. <laughs> right. 
And then as we get into like the middle parts of the season, we, we jump into like, you know, I guess the real, the meat of things happening in episodes three and four. Uh, according to Hu Yang, we learned that Sabine doesn't seem to have much of the force, at least according to him. And he, you know, he's, she's the worst Padawan he's seen in hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah, That's a compliment for yeah, you. I'm like, well, thank you very much. Or very little. But then obviously, you know, Ahsoka wouldn't try to train her if she didn't have some ability in the forest, right? So, you know, she just hasn't learned how to grasp it, I guess, or learn how to you know, access access it. So, and, and I was very grateful that they didn't break out a, a woman's razor and try to measure her midichlorians or anything. So, yeah. Right. And then we kind of, you know, since this Hu Yang's been around for hundreds of years and training Padawans for hundreds of years before you know, everything went to pieces, it was kind of cool to see like more of how things probably used to have been. Because all we know mostly is like post Jedi fall and you know like a couple of people out in the wilderness trying to learn on their own. But here we get the, like this really cool lightsaber forms training exercise between Sabine and Hu Yang. You know where he's like holding these things up and she's like striking and it kind of like makes like a path like where the blade went. And then he can, he compares it to where it should have gone so you can see like if she did the form right or not. So I, I love that. You know it's fun to actually see you know how things used to be because you know we don't have any any of that yet. You know they're still working on. Hopefully, possibly, like a High Republic series that takes place a couple hundred years before everything we know. So we might be able to see some of that eventually, but it's cool to and, and, see some of that now. And other Easter eggs in these scenes, you can see the training helmet with the blast shield visor that Luke used on the Falcon in his first training scene. So there, there's some throwbacks in here to or references that you kind of give you a through line to the lightsaber training. Yep. Yeah. He's got to find new ways to do the same old stuff that you used to do. And then, of course, we get our obligatory scene and one, if it was episodes later, which we'll talk about with our New Republic leadership, who either are overconfident or clueless, probably the latter, uh, who don't believe that the threat that Morgan's out there trying to get Thrawn again is like, ah, we don't care about Thrawn, who cares? Despite Hera's best attempt to try to persuade them. I mean, at least Mon Mothma, obviously, because, you know, she's the big hero of everything on the senator side seems to get it but i guess she doesn't quite have the authority and can't just let hera take the republic forces off you know on a whim to go to a planet but you know i guess given the amount of corruption and infiltration that we talked about and seen in this series plus all the other shows i guess it's not all surprising i mean it would be nice to see some kind of semi-competent new republic government since we didn't get to see much of that at all in the last trilogy movies <laughs> they're all a bunch of idiots <laughs> And they paid the price for that idiocy. <laughs> but, you know, that's the trope, right? You know, our heroes always know better than their superiors or their leaders, right? And if the the military had jumped right in, it wouldn't have been a it, it would have been a Star Wars movie or show, right? I mean, these these things always kind of work off of small bands because if there's, you know, too big, then you don't have the the personal stakes and, and everything. So they they seem to work better in smaller units. I will make a call out here that I haven't read it yet, but supposedly one of the newer Star Wars novels is about uh, Princess Leia's involvement with the new Republic uh, politics and how disillusioned she became with it, that she actually wound up forming a, her guerrilla task force that becomes the resistance in the latest trilogy. I, I was trying to think of it's a post trilogy, whatever you call that, but <laughs> um, you know, that, that kind of, bridges that gap of why she left the Republic and, and was with the resistance. Uh, and it comes down to these politicians. Yeah. Cause kind of like, I think as we saw some of the Mandalorian, no, not dumb uh, Andor stuff that, yeah, they're kind of like, you know, they were there like before and now they 
you know, kind of like on hiatus when the Empire came, now they're kind of back. So it's like, they didn't really learn anything. They're just keep doing their own stupid things that they did before because now they can do it again. And it's like, um, wake up, hello, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't seen Andor yet, but I got to get to it because I, I know I'm missing some stuff there. Yeah, because season two is supposedly coming out again, depending on the writer strikes or whatever. But <laughs> so, who knows? And uh, you know, so Ahsoka and company go off anyway because that's what we do. It, it was you know a good set piece where you know they're closing in to try to scan Morgan's Spring, and there's you know they're getting blasted at by the Morgan's Ring, and then there's you know fighters led by Shin out there trying to attack them, and you know at least now they've got Sabine, so she can jump on the on the back gun uh, and at least try to defend themselves versus just flying around like trying to get shot at. And that's all wonderful and great. Up until the point where Ahsoka goes outside in a space suit and starts deflecting fighter blaster bolts with her sabers, I'm like, um, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, sure, you know, you have to keep ramping up the crazy Jedi abilities and as, as each movie and TV show goes along, you know, because it's, it's cool and you want to see some new stuff. But really? I mean, you know, and why did everybody kept trying to shoot at her? It's like, forget her, shoot the ship. <laughs> you know, you know, shoot like the underside of the ship where she's not standing on deflecting the bolts, right? But again, that's also the trope. You know, the evil person can't shoot the ship; they have to shoot their nemesis because this is how it works. <laughs> so. and, yeah, and I can't argue with that. I, I will call back though that I did enjoy seeing uh, Sabine get to do some piloty stuff and and shooting turbo lasers. And I think there might have been a little bit of a callback to uh, the Millennium Falcon laser turret fight so uh getting some shots in there uh it was one step from uh getting told don't get cocky kid but uh yeah <laughs> i enjoyed that scene yeah i mean I, you know I, I love your your homages your throwbacks your whatever takes on you know other things because you know it's just, it's just fun you know it's in universe it's recognizable by most everybody you don't have, to have any kind of much past knowledge you know if you just watch the stuff you're good you don't have, to have like you don't have, to have read books and wikipedias or wikipedias you know whatever you can just you know like ah, i get that you know <laughs> so. and again more rebels callbacks they're getting ready to land on Cetos, and suddenly they're dodging pergo space whales they're just suddenly cruising along <laughs> which maybe that ties into the map that they're trying to use so maybe traveling from Cetos to other galaxies more easily done from the area around Cetos or something, because that's maybe that's where they came from. It's kind of like a maybe like the the, the whales know that path because it's it's like a like a migration kind of path or something that that's where they migrate to and from. I don't know. Well, and we can touch on it when they get to the planet here in a minute. But I will mention uh, tying the whales to the maps. But I don't know if you noticed, but around the outside of the ring that they were using for kind of the map coordinates and stuff like that, that it had the um, Purgle around the outside of the ring is kind of iconographs or whatever. So, yeah, no, I missed that. Okay. Well, yeah. Which, of course, is like all over the closing credits, too. <laughs> I yeah, should go, yeah. I should go look at that more closely next time. <laughs> so, they, they factor highly into the maps and, and routes and stuff. So, it's kind of cool. Yeah. All right. So, now we're finally halfway through this episode or through the season. So, you know, episode four is like the big kind of halfway, like big kind of mid season cliffhanger, I guess you call it. And probably the most action packed of the four episodes up to this point. You get your kind of nice again set piece of their shuttle or their ships crashed on the on Cetos and then Balin's forces attack, which you know he's got some droids and some actual people, so it's kind of fun to see Hu Yang attacking another droid, which really just kind of like them punching each other to no effect whatsoever. You know, it's kind of like a you know Rock'em Sock'em Robots if you remember that from like the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I, I can't remember the last time droids were attacking each other, so that's kind of funny. Yeah, I'm I'm sure there's a scene that I probably am, am blanking on, but this was this was well done. I I, I enjoyed getting to see Hu Yang 
try to try to fight him. But yeah, he was definitely overmatched. So yeah, he's he's a trainer, not a fighter. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> and so much for our former Inquisitor Marok. Poor Marok gets killed by Ahsoka. Although from what we saw in the last episode of the series with those night troopers getting resurrected uh, by those night sisters or night mothers, whatever you call them, great mothers. So you think maybe Morgan raised Merrick from the dead at some point? Since when Ahsoka kills him, that, that same kind of green mist or whatever came out of him that we saw at the end when they, they were killed and they resurrected night troopers. That's That seems to be the, the theory and it, it lines up. You know, that like, as you mentioned, the green mist, that's the same green mist that was used throughout the Clone Wars series when, you know, they, they Night Sisters that were featured in that interacted with Darth Maul and I'm a, I can't remember his brother's name, but the brother that they made for him and even Ventress when they, anytime they kind of wielded the dark force power that they use, it was that green light. And so, yeah, it, that seems to line up that he was a, a resurrected somehow. I don't know if you, you know, followed any of the, online chatter while the series was airing but one of my favorites was all the the theories around who merrick was really going to be inside the suit and everything from ezra himself to um you know darth maul to all kind of rumors and when it wound up just being like magic and dust i i, I thought that was pretty hilarious so yeah because you, you make a big puzzling kind of thing it's like, oh it's gotta be somebody well maybe not necessarily yeah sometimes dust is just dust yeah I think what Darth Maul's brother was like, what, Savage or Press? I think, which is, again, great. Wow. Yeah, I love these, like, just goofy names that they make up with. <laughs> well, I, I play, a like, a Star Wars Galaxy Heroes mobile game, and, you know, you collect all the Star Wars characters, and I, that's one of them. So that's why I remember, kind of. <laughs> ah. He's just more yeah. like a, like, like a orange version of um, Darth Maul. Yeah. It, it, anything's better than some of the names for characters in the uh, original series, right? Because uh, Lucas was not known for his originality or or whatever, in, in creating characters and naming characters. Yeah, I was like when I was collecting the figures back in the day, I was just like, you know, Hammerhead. You know, you didn't know what his real name was because I guess at that point he didn't have one until like the novels came out, like, you know, Tales from the Cantina, whatever, that kind of stuff. They, they gave him the whole yeah. backstory and whatever, but it's just, just a, you know, a guy in a bar look, look, look like a Hammerhead. Okay, great. That's all I needed to know. <laughs> but even, even when they named him, you get names like Finger and Dan playing music or something. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. really? What? Yeah, I'm like, you know, I don't need to know all that necessarily, but hey, great. <laughs> It's you know, that was back when we had to have books about everything because it was Star Wars was done. There was no, no, no more Star Wars, so let's just backfill everything. <laughs> yeah, but I think a random name generator would have done a better job. But anyway, <laughs> right. yeah. back to Ahsoka. Fill so, out this survey and get your Star Wars. Never mind. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Now we have AI. Just make up names or things. Okay. All right, and then we have a round two of the big Sabine Shin fight. This one goes to Sabine, but not because she's wonderful with her force abilities or has great skills with lightsaber, which is good because it's only been like what a week or two maybe since she got run through so you know how much improvement could she have made in that time yeah we'll yeah. come back to that not yeah, not in but, this episode but later yeah. but you know <laughs> just good old ingenuity and lots of weapons hidden in her best car and reinforced armor which of course is also awesome to block lightsaber attacks with so hey <laughs> well i i don't know if you read a lot of the star wars novels and stuff that came out uh in the dark days as you mentioned between after star wars ended and we were just left with what's now considered the legends books and all that I think but, pretty much every one, but the ones for kids. <laughs> I think okay, well, well, good. You're right with me then. But one of, one of the things that a lot of the Jedi dealt with in that series was learning how to incorporate their actual past lives and skills into their Jedi training, right? Like uh, one of them was a, a former cop, was one of the characters, I think. And, you know, him learning how to 
leverage the skills and stuff. And he became a better Jedi once he realized how to mix his skill sets. And that's kind of what I see in Ahsoka, right? It's, you know, it's not just about lightsabers and the force. It's also about the skills that make her, her. And that's being a Mandalorian. Man, you can't just like jettison all your former training and your, and your cool armor and stuff because you're a Jedi now. It's like, Hey, you know, why, why can't you do both? You know, there's no, there's no more rules and laws and stuff with Jedi. Cause there's only like, you know, half a dozen left. So, Hey, do your own thing. <laughs> uh, half a dozen. Yeah. Plus and grow, we find and growing. three more every episode. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, they're all wiped out except for these 14. Yeah. No, 16. Now wait. 16. Now wait, 18. No, 47. No, wait. <laughs> it's, it's a whole yeah. it's a whole shadow council of Jedi. Wait a minute, what? You know, no. Yeah, yeah. we went from there's only one Jedi. To, I think there was like five in this series, and, and there was none of them were the one we knew about. So, Yeah, well, you know, the fallen ones don't count because they're fallen. So you, they, they, they like hundreds of them because they're not Jedi. <laughs> well, I guess it's Ahsoka walked out. She doesn't count either, right? So Yeah, right. Because what she not, right? We don't know. And like we said before, you know, Sabine doing Sabine, she doesn't do what Ahsoka says and destroys the map if it came down to it, you know, because, you know, she really wants to rescue Ezra, which, you know, hey, you know, he's, he's your friend. You've been through a lot. I, I get it. It's loyalty. And of course, if she did destroy the map, then that would kind of be it right there. And that'd be in the show. So you know, I can see why they did that. Yeah. And, you know, how else we're going to get to the cool other side of the far, far away galaxy if we don't make some hyperspace jumps, right? Yeah, because as much as, as we want to see live action Ezra, we really, really want to see live action Grand Moltron. Let, let's face it. I mean, that's the one. That's the guy we want to see throughout this entire show. <laughs> so, if it ended there, no Thrawn. So, yeah, and we got to have some Thrawn. That's right. And of course, Hera and her little X-wing squad arrives too late as always, but not before we get to the cameo guy of the new Star Wars TV universe, Captain Carson Tiva makes yet one more appearance. <laughs> so, Dave Filoni and John Favreau must really love this guy. And. I'm hoping that maybe this kind of indicates that they're going to backtrack a little bit to the, uh, what was it? Um, man, what was the show they were going to have about the uh, X-Wing pilots that was supposed to star the lady that got fired from Star Wars? Um, oh, and that, that, was, that was my favorite set of like Star Wars novels back in the day, too. And now I've totally forgot. Rogue Squadron. That was it. Yeah, but they had a it had a name they were going to make for the like for the, for the show Rangers or something like. Oh yeah, uh, which was going to have um, Gina Carano as um. Yeah, that's the one I was looking for. Gina Carano, whatever, as whatever her name was uh, in the show. I can't remember now. <laughs> so I'm hoping they're going to go back, you know, and and let him take the squadron of X wings and actually make that show because I think, like you said, they really like him. They throw him everywhere. So why not give him a series and let him let him do some patrolling and yeah, we'll have. Uh, Star Wars cops, you know, bad droids, bad droids, or something. So <laughs> yeah, cause th they were done that in the time we've seen him. He's, he's, you know, he and his buddies are out there patrolling and doing things, and yeah, like you know, busting, you know, the Mandalorian for not having the right permits or whatever on the ship, whatever. You know, so they're doing like the cop things. So it'd, it'd be cool. Yeah, Star Wars cops, like. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they've got you know to tie this back to the Rebels crew. Yeah, you know, you've got Zeb out there uh, working with them because he was kind of had a cameo in that. Uh, end of the or that, that one Mandalorian scene when he went to the uh, pilots stuff. So mm -hmm. the pilots bar. So they could always loop him in and, and make him part of it as well. Although that kind of ups your CG budget. Yeah, and a side note, if, if you want to see like kind of like a, a the Imperial version of, of cops, you can probably find it on YouTube. Maybe it's still around if they haven't pulled it down. Cause it's like, it's like a fan film. It's called troops or it's like stormtroopers acting like cops, like, you know, doing 
you know, they, they do like the, the cops theme music and it's like, you know, this is like, you know, live, whatever, you know, people are assumed innocent, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. They do the whole thing with like troopers acting like they're like cops. Like, you know, oh, we got, we got a runner. And it's like a Jawa runaway. It, it, it's hilarious. It's the, <laughs> you have to go. I remember that. You one. have to go that watch like it. 20 yeah. years ago. What? Yeah. That it, it was fantastic. It was hilarious. <laughs> so, it's just, you're, you're it's early troop, days. You average trooper right like, there. man, I don't want to do this crap. You know, it, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Which you know would have been a great tie-in with the the two troopers who were trying to shoot the can or whatever from yeah. Mandalorian. Yeah, <laughs> you could like weave that in there somewhere. You know, it'd, it'd, be, it'd be great. But yeah, Star Wars cops, I would definitely watch the heck out of that. That'd be, that'd be all. Yeah, I was like Rangers of the Republic. They're so anyway. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then I guess the big reveal: uh, Ahsoka is not dead, of course, because then again, the show's named, named that for her. So she awakens in the world between worlds, which we saw again in in Rebels. Uh, so again, more tie-ins and more wrapping up of Filoni wonderful things. And she meets Anakin, who's there, who did look a little creepy, at least originally. Uh, I don't know if they tr- they try to do some like de-aging on him, because you know, but it's been like what twenty plus years since, or almost twenty years since the first the first new trilogy they did. Um, so it just didn't look right. It looked like they were trying to make him younger when the age he was when he died in Return of the Jedi, but. I mean, at this point, just just go with it and stop with the aging stuff. You know, unless you really have to because they're like 65, trying to act like they're 30. Okay, I get it, but he's not that much older-ish and doesn't look that much different, probably. So, like, yeah, I don't know. I I didn't mind this as much. I, maybe I was more in the moment. I I think it maybe it's just me. If, I think it felt a little bit better here, maybe because of the lighting from the world between worlds, than it did in like the Obi Wan Kenobi scenes when they were fighting and he was de-aged. So, yeah, you know, probably wasn't perfect, but I think it was well within the Uncanny Valley lines that I think it didn't bother me as bad. Yeah, I mean, it's improved light years, haha, no, so to speak, since, you know, like like Tarkin and like um, Leia. Leia in the Rogue One. I mean, so, yeah, they definitely got it up there now where it's not as expensive and better at it as you, as you do things. That's how, that's, what, that's how it works. But, yeah, it's still... I think they need to try to de-age him. Just, just go with it. You know, like, oh yeah, I'm, time acts like normal here in the world between worlds, and you know, whatever. Just you get this written off, like, you know, <laughs> whatever. But anyway, you know, yeah, I can nitpick because I love the show. So you know, it, it didn't take me out of it. It just was kind of like, are they trying to make him look different? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and they they did some cool stuff with what we'll we'll, get, we'll talk about probably as we get into it. But the 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 Vader and stuff in him was kind of cool. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then that's how it ends. You know, so as things are looking hopeless, Hera and Jason, Hera and Kanan's son, land on Cetos. Because, you know, of course, you have to take your son with you because, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just a harmless little trip to a planet with a evil woman and some Jedi. But it's fine. It would take the kid along. And, uh, but which is probably good because then we learn that Jason is Force-sensitive and he can hear Ahsoka and Anakin talking and fighting in the world between worlds. So that was kind of cool. And, again, because Hera knows, you know, where he came from. You know, she doesn't just like write him off. She kind of is like, yeah, whatever. But then she kind of like, okay, I, I I believe you. You know, so she does believe him, and tells her team to keep searching the ocean near where Soka fell off because you know, she's there somewhere. And it's like, I, trust me. Yeah, I really did enjoy their treatment of Jason and that character, and, and getting to see you know a lot of the design and the stuff they wove into him. Uh, for example, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but his shoulder pauldron or whatever was the same one that uh, his dad wore. Uh, Kanan War in Rebels, so they they did some neat tie-ins between the two characters. I I did have a little bit of a complaint about the fact that they named him Jason Sindula 
although I know his you know, mom's probably more famous at this point instead of uh, using his dad's real name because I would have loved for Jason Doom to be a character in here. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you gotta keep it going, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, but yeah, you know, Doom, man. The guy's name was Doom. <laughs> hey, you know what are you gonna do? And uh, speaking of the world between worlds, we have basically that entire episode five is all about that more or less, uh, which is kind of cool. You know, we get to spend more time there, which was fun during the the Rebel shows. And it looks like Anakin's testing Ahsoka. I guess seeing if she wants to deal with her issues, you know, and live and go back to the real world, or kind of just stay there and die and wallow in your guilt and recriminations of your past, right? So, and then we get like you know probably the rest of the episode is like kind of unpacking all that and it within flashbacks of or quasi flashbacks of her Padawan days with Anakin, you know, doing like constant battles with clone war, you know, in the clone wars and, you know, just clones getting mowed down left and right, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, so that was fun to kind of like unpack, I guess, her baggage and, and deal with it. And uh, the actor who played the young Ahsoka was, was fantastic. I thought. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I wasn't expecting her to, to de-age and get played by a different character, but, that that really made the scenes more impactful, and like you said, they nailed the the actress who got to play the young version of her. And yeah, I mean, they, they really excelled. I did not expect to have an episode like this in the middle dealing with some of these topics. Uh, so it was really cool to see them step back and kind of explore some of this stuff. I, I'll be honest and say I think we got a lot out of this episode that kind of even goes beyond this show between the stuff we see about the Clone Wars. So, yeah, because we kind of mentioned it you know, earlier, but yeah, I like how they continue to explore like what effect the Clone Wars have had on various people that, that were in it, right? Like, you know, again, like I said before, we had more of the Clone perspective in The Last Mandalorian, them being like veterans with nothing to do, and they're trained for combat, and, you know, they're, what, they're going to serve drinks now in a bar? Like, what, you know, like, you know, it's just not what they're built for, right? This, you know, they're trying to reintegrate to society, you know, and, you know, at least in here, we have like that from a Jedi Padawan perspective. Jedi before the war were like these, you know, guardians of law and order, which, you know, what, what's that really mean? Like, you know, maybe going to help with like a little skirmish, helping to negotiate something, or maybe like rescuing a couple of people from some bad people. That's kind of it, right? But here during the Clone Wars, they're mostly just always at war. They're always attacking, you know, destroying separatist droids, ships, you know, this is constant bloodshed, not on the droids part, but on, on their side, because you're watching like actual flesh and blood clone troopers dying left, right, and sideways. I mean, <laughs> they're getting blown up. You know, Ahsoka's there with one that's dying, and she's trying to comfort him. I mean, you know, that's got to weigh on you. Like, like most wars do weigh on the people that fight them. I mean, so you know, we get to see that from like Ahsoka's perspective, and you know, how she's trying to come to grips with all that. And as we kind of, like you said, we hinted on that and talked about it a little bit as we talked about the Clone Wars, but that was one of the things that really made that. I think go beyond just a, a cartoon or an animated series was that they really did pay attention to, you know, the realities of war and the number of, if you, if you kind of think about it, the number of troops that you get attached to clones that you get attached to that don't make it spoiler. Very few of them did <laughs> um, out of that, you know, bad batch kind of shows that. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of neat to see it from the, the Jedi perspective where, this is this is what was the fall of the the Jedi Order, right? It wasn't just the fact that you know the dark side and and Sidious. It was them stepping beyond their their policing duties and actually becoming the the leaders and and you know, being the military. It's like if you took law enforcement off the streets today and put them in charge of military operations. You know, you, you change the mission, you change the goal, and 
you get to see a lot of the repercussions from that in this show. Yeah, and I forgot. Yeah, even Bad Batch. Yeah, that's basically the entire point of Bad Batch is you know them dealing with the fact that they're not troopers anymore, and other troopers they meet that you know, <laughs> and you know clone rights and all that kind of stuff that they're going on about in the Bad Batch season. So yeah, I mean, it's all of course it's all written by the same two people. So they're they're you know, wrapping it all together and they're just showing you like this broader picture of here's what real life is like for your non-hero characters. You know exactly. And then, of course, you know, Ahsoka finally comes to grips with everything, because otherwise, again, you know, it's her show, show's over. And, and, and she, you know, she wasn't complicit or helpful in turning Anakin to the dark side. And, you know, what she learned from him in his teachings wasn't all bad. There was good things in there. And, and then after she comes back, you can kind of see, like, she's got, like, a new outlook, or, like, a new attitude, kind of, in the, in the remaining episodes. You know, she's kind of, like, a little wooden and detached in the first couple episodes, I thought. But now she's kind of, like, loosening up more in these last couple episodes, I thought. And, you know, I think her growth in this, obviously, you, can, you know, I, I saw some comparisons to her coming back and being like the fall of Gandalf, right? So uh, she comes back and she's Ahsoka the White, right? Instead of <laughs> Ahsoka the Gray. So you get some of that. I'm, I totally stole that, by the way. But um, I like it. I, yeah. yeah, it was pretty fitting. I, I thought it was really good. But one, one of the things that we really didn't, I think, touch on or didn't know at the beginning and we kind of find out as we walk through it is some of the other stuff that happened in the time in between was the uh we kind of saw in the mandalorian right the bombing and destruction of, of mandalore and the fact that ahsoka's family ahsoka sorry uh, sabine's family was killed in that right and so a lot of what ahsoka comes to terms with here is you know she held herself responsible for the fall of anakin in the darth vader and that caused the rift between her and Sabine because she was scared that she was going to cause the same thing in Sabine. And so, you know, her coming to grips with the fact that she didn't cause that allows her to continue training Sabine. And that was part of what was keeping them from moving forward as a master apprentice. Yeah. Yeah. And not just because of being stubborn and, you know, walks off on, on her own. Well, yeah, yeah you get that too, yeah, but, I, but yeah, I, I, it's cool that, yeah, it's like, you know, now you kind of see, cause you know, we don't see any of the, the, the Padawan training kind of stuff because that happened after Rebels and before this. So, you know, it's kind of good to like fill in the gaps, you know, at least narratively and tell us, oh, this is probably what happened and why. And, you know, they get to make up when they see each other again, you know. So. And obviously that works out when you see the result in Sabine's power levels as they kind of move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, you know, we left with a big question. So, how do you get to another galaxy when you don't have the technology? Well, you kind of go old school or go analog, you know, do it the natural way. I was kind of figuring they used the Purgles somehow to get there, because, you know, what else you got? Yeah, but I thought maybe they would just, like, kind of, like, land on one, like, on the outside, and just kind of, like, you know, poof, off they go. I didn't think they would actually go inside one of them. That <laughs> that was kind of fun. And then, you know, while we're spending however many hours, weeks, whatever it is, to get there, we have Hu Yang telling Ahsoka a story from the Jedi Archives or whatever, and he starts off with, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> so... That's not just for us movie and TV watching Earthlings. That's true for them, too. And this was a couple of really cool spots, right? Because not only do we get probably my favorite line in the entire show, because you know, who could not be excited and, and laugh when they gave the long time ago in a galaxy far, far away line? Because uh, I believe that's the first time that's been spoken on screen ever. But y there's also a lot of metaphor here with the whales, right? Because you've got, you know... Um, yeah, my first reaction was he, he pulled a Geppetto and Pinocchio, right? But I think the best matchup would be that they pulled a, a Jonah. And now you've got a prophet going into the 
the belly of the whale to to complete the mission. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and also if he's talking about where the Night Sisters came from and whatever, it it's true. They came from a long long time ago in a galaxy far far away. That's where that's where that's where we're going, and that's where they came from to get to our galaxy to Dathomir, and whatever Sitos and whatever. So it's not just a story; it's for real. <laughs> so. and, and we'll touch on it a little bit later, but this has some pretty major implications for our history of the force yeah we'll cover that at the end and yeah i love like when you get into like the like the world building or like more into the mythology and and how that kind of stuff evolved or came about or got used i love it so keep keep doing that dave keep going with that yeah it's awesome and then finally our long wait is over episode six we finally live in person Blue without red eyes. It's Grand Admiral Thrawn, baby. Woohoo! <laughs> and yeah, and 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 Ezra at the end there a little bit. Yeah, but <laughs> and uh, hey, keeping with our Farscape theme that we we do here every every usually every episode, which I had no clue about. Initially, one of the great mothers is none other than Claudia Black, Aaron's son from Farscape her own self. I had no clue under all that makeup and costume and even her voice. I didn't recognize her at all until I looked at the credits and like, wait, Claudia, what? <laughs> who was who <is> she? <laughs> so, so you beat me on this one because I didn't know that until you just said it. So <laughs> that's that's amazing. I'm going to have to go back and look at the credits because that's, like you said, there's no way to know with the way they've got them, uh, you know, the audio trickery and the, the makeup and everything. But that's that's an awesome cameo right there. That's that's cool. Yeah, because I'm in like a ton of Farscape groups on, on Facebook. And yeah, they're all like, every one of them is like, you know, <laughs> I'm like, wow, awesome. All right. And uh, you know more more things we get to learn about. We learn why Balin's uh, doing mercenary work for Morgan. He doesn't really care about any of that, any of that stuff. He's just along for the ride because he wants to break the cycle of the fall of the Jedi and rise of the Sith or Empire or you know not the Jedi. And now that he's there on Pridia, he senses some greater power. You know, which we find out probably maybe what that is at the end there in the last scene. And goes off to find and maybe use that to do what he wants to do. And just kind of like. Says to his Padawan, actually not nothing. He just kind of says, uh, "Yeah, see ya," and <laughs> off he goes. <laughs> nice guy. <laughs> Kinda. I, I'll I'll stick up for him a little bit here and say that this is if he's being guided by the Force or by mission or whatever. This is pretty much the same line that Obi Wan gives Luke in uh, Star Wars, you know, A New Hope. So you know, sometimes you you kind of gotta let your apprentice stand on their own. So yeah. Yeah, you know, and you know, the, the the force guides people to do things. So yeah, if he's truly being pulled or driven some way, and I guess she's not part of that or doesn't think she's part of it, it's just like, well, okay, well, you know, go hang out with these mercenary guys and uh, you know do some things, and you know, go back to Morgan and Thrawn if he will have to, you know, make by. <laughs> he, he tells her that that her ambition leads her in a different direction. So yeah, yeah, I mean, and she's kind of not, as you can see from other points during the previous episode she's not quite sold on what he's doing either so there's kind of like some kind of conflict with her too of not that she's probably going to join the soka company maybe who knows we'll, we'll see next season if it happens but yeah she's not quite i don't think she knows what like what what who she wants to be or wh- who she wants to side with at this point yeah yeah i do think she's an interesting character so i hope we get more of it yep and you know round three later i guess you know she doesn't wind up being killed by anybody so you know hey yep <laughs> so. And then in our new little world here of Peridia, we keep with the Star Wars tradition of cutesy little aliens. We meet the Noti. They're, they're small like Ewoks, but they're more like hermit crabs because they have shells in their backs. 
and like like clothes, like like almost like suits and ties, like looking nice, <laughs> whatever they're wearing. It's like like formal wear or whatever. Uh, it's it's hilarious. And you know they're nomadic and they travel around in pods that look also like shells. You know, cute. I love the theme. I love them. It's they're 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 great. <laughs> I'll admit, I wasn't enthused because I did have the kind of a great more weird little cute aliens when they first more, appeared more, more ewoks great more ewoks right <laughs> every planet's got to have something but yeah they grew on me by the time we got to the end with, with the villages and stuff i, I was sold it, it they worked it was successful yeah and how, like you know ezra's like you know doesn't quite speak their language but they kind of understand him and you know they're kind of like their buddies and their friends and it's it's, it's cute i mean yeah you know. <laughs> And back to our galaxy, or well, their galaxy anyway. Back on Coruscant, Hera is being a not quite court-martialed, some kind of disciplinary hearing with a bunch of again dumb New Republic senators and the not so dumb Mon Mothma. I mean, again, you would think that if there's even the remotest possibility that an Imperial Grand Admiral could come back and galvanize the remnants of the Empire, which you know are there, you still want to believe it your own self. You might want to maybe give that person some leeway to find out more about it. I don't you know. Just that's just me, but. That one senator seems to really not even care or bind the fact that there's an imperial remnant out there at all. Like this guy is like in total denial, just doesn't really want to hear about it. You know, he's got more important things to do. You know, he's got meetings to go to. Whatever, I don't know. Or he's an imperial remnant. Yeah, or yeah, himself. Exactly right. You know, even with like evidence from Krillia that there's you know imperial sympathizers like running a, a major star drive making corporation that's you know kind of important to probably making star drives for your ships and stuff. You know, maybe. But, you know, now you know why the New Republic didn't last more than 30 years or so. I mean, <laughs> there you go. And, of course, amazing cameo by C-3PO. I did not expect that at all. And I think this is another one of the scenes where I want to check Chopper's subtitles because he had some, some lines in here that would probably be entertaining. Yeah, probably some, some choice words for people. You know. <laughs> well, I think they referenced at some point about, you know, the evidence being untrustworthy because the only other witness was a droid or something. But anyway... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so then we get the Ahsoka and company arriving at Peridia, and the Purgles run into a minefield. I wasn't quite sure at first why it was like a minefield, other than maybe Thrawn really hates the Purgle for bringing him here, so he wants to keep blowing them up. I don't know. <laughs> or he's got no idea what's in this galaxy, so it's probably just like a defensive move, I'm guessing. You know, just you know, fortify your position, you know, get some forewarning if anybody's coming into the planet, I'm guessing. But, of course, mostly what it's there for is it gave us some great action scenes with fighters attacking them and dodging Purgle skeletons in the minefield, which, you know, yet again, a callback to the Empire Strikes Back asteroid scene. There, there definitely were a lot of similarities there. A couple of call-outs here. I think, and I could be wrong, I think the minefield might have been a result of him not trusting that uh, Ahsoka was dead. And so I think that might have been a recent thing, although maybe not. And then I also want to mention that the uh, the Purgle, Purgle skeletons, uh, this was kind of actually one of the explanations for why they have this specific hyperspace lane, because this is where the Purgle go to die. This was the Purgle graveyard. Uh, okay. So they, they migrate here specifically to die. Okay, I might, I might have missed that. Okay, that makes more sense then. Okay. But still, I kind of also have it in my mind that, you know, he hates the Purgle so much he's going to blow them up <laughs> Just put my fields everywhere. <laughs> well, it said they said it was a purple graveyard and where they go to die. They didn't say how, so maybe yeah, minefield right. <laughs> is the method. So yeah, you know they're they're sick. They pop in. Oh no, mine! Boom! You know. <laughs> so, yeah, because you know if Thrawn can't get back, he's gonna kill them all. <laughs> because that's just the way he is. So. 
And uh, yeah, then we get uh, some cool scenes towards the end where uh, Ezra's and Sabine and company are fighting the night, night troopers and local bandits. But you know, Ezra, of course, doesn't have his lightsaber, so he's fighting them without it. Which is basically, he's like kind of like if you cross your D and D and your Star Wars, he's like a Force monk. He's doing lots of unarmed attacks and Force pushes. I love it. I, I would play that character in a, in a game. <laughs> That'd be so cool. Yeah, it was very well done. And then of course, then, then of course, Ahsoka arrives, and we have another great reunion of old friends. Yes. So, oh, yeah. uh, very very well done. I, I was the same way. I love the the force attacks. My my only regret, although you know, again, lightsabers are cool, is he does turn around and build one later. But uh, seeing without one to start with was really cool, and how comfortable he's become not having it. Yeah, actually, he didn't lose his lightsaber. Sabine has it. So, right, yeah, so. but he didn't take it back from her either. And he's like, it, no, he's like, no, you can keep it. I'm I'm good. And just keeps like whacking exactly. <laughs> so, I love it. And he does some pretty good force pushes against the lightsaber, right? Because uh, as Shin yeah. swings at him, he basically like almost pushes against it, and you can see it kind of fuzz out a little bit where he's pushing on it with the force. So yeah, so maybe he's you know kept up with his training as he could, you know, just kind of like tooling around with the, his nody friends in the, in the little shell ships yeah. or <laughs> shell caravan. What else is he gonna do, right? Yeah, you know. Pack things up, unpack things, and okay, now I'm gonna you know go practice in, in the woods here. <laughs> so, but then of course Ezra builds his new lightsaber on Ahsoka's ship because it's just got all kinds of parts. Because I guess that's a ship back from the time of the Jedi where they all kinds of wonderful things. And he winds up picking the same kind of parts that Kanan used for his lightsaber, according to Hewing anyway. So now they're all set to storm the castle, so to speak, and get thrown and get back to our galaxy, or well their galaxy, which is what I was thinking they would happen. But more on that in a minute. Well, and and just to kind of go back to the lightsaber thing for a second, specifically, this was the ship that Hu Yang was on when we first got introduced to him in, was that Clone Wars episode, I think, maybe, where they were building, his, his he specifically trained Jedi on this ship and helped them build their first lightsabers. So that's why they have this entire room for lightsaber buildings, because Hu Yang's been on this ship for thousands of, well, I don't know about thousands, but a really long time uh, building lightsabers with young Padawans. Yeah, I can't remember that, that far back. I, I've seen all the Clone Wars stuff. Obviously, it's been however many, 10 years, whatever it's been now. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the ep- I can't remember the point of the episode, except for there was a bunch of Padawans that he taught to build lightsabers, and they all kind of constructed based on their unique skill set and background. Like, I think the Wookiee had like a wooden-handled lightsaber, uh, the Wookiee Jedi, and all that kind of stuff. So they, they it, it, there was a kind of a, a youngling episode there. Mm, that's cool, yeah. And uh, so now they're they're storming the castle, so to speak, as I said. And um, I know it's against against the plot and against cool things, and you know the show would have been over. But when they're riding and then running on foot to get to the temple part to then get up to the chimera, the chimera is like firing down at them with dozens of turbo laser batteries and not a scratch on them. I'm like, did these guys learn to shoot main ship guns from the same instructors that taught them how to shoot their blaster rifles? Because they can't hit a damn thing with these giant orbital bombardment guns here. <laughs> well, to be fair, the orbital bombardment guns are designed to shoot, you know, ships and bigger targets. I, I'm, I'm just going to make an excuse. I don't know. It, it, it was it was bad. <laughs> and like, you know, don't, don't even try to shoot at them. Just just lay down a constant stream of fire like near the front door. Like that's all you got to do. <laughs> like whatever. But, well, okay. New head cannon. They've been stranded on this thing without parts. There's no targeting lasers. There's no targeting system. So they're really just firing blind. That's 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 my story. Yeah, which makes sense, and that's kind of like how they do their non their everyday work when they're in our galaxy. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. 
par par for the course. Yeah, you know, that this is how Imperial troopers shoot. Yeah, you know, not not well. <laughs> so again, another trope. There you go. <laughs> Check. But then we get our great scenes of them kind of going up level by level up the pyramid or tower, whatever you want to call it, to get up to the top, and where they get to fight these night troopers lots of times because they keep getting resurrected by the great mothers. They, like Night of the Living Dead Night Troopers, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, They go down, they get to the next level, the ones on the bottom level then wake up and start, you know, brains and go back up to <laughs> go back up to <laughs> so, and then we get uh, Ahsoka's final fight with Morgan, who's armed with that sword, that you know, cool Night Sister sword. You know, she's trying to buy time for Ezra and Sabine to get onto the onto the Chimera. So you know, she's like, you know, basically sacrificing herself, or at least sacrificing herself to stay on the planet while they at least could escape. And of course, in our final uh, bit of disobedience by Sabine, she gets Ezra to the Chimera, and hey, she does have Force abilities after all. So hey, good job. She goes back to help Ahsoka, which really was a good decision in retrospect because she needed the help. <laughs> so. Right, and it and it kind of ties back to the original thing that Hu Yang told him about. You know, you're always better when you're together, and so they finally learned that lesson and and stuck with each other once you know she accomplished the mission of getting Ezra on the ship. So, I, I thought that was a great resolution to their their team arc. You know, yes, it was a disobedience, but it was the way it was supposed to be. And then one other just kind of mentioned a reference since I keep keep pointing all the callbacks to, uh, Clone Wars, but that sword that uh, Mother Talzin's sword was named that because Mother Talzin actually wielded it when she fought. I can't remember who she fought, but she fought somebody even Clone Wars, wielding the sword, and it was a lightsaber battle against sword. So, yeah, right. so, you know, Dave doing Callback King and just putting everything in there. Yeah, it, it basically, like I said, if you've watched the series, this is like, you know, Easter egg heaven of all the callbacks. Yeah, and again, if you don't know anything about it, it's still cool that there's this, like, Night Sister, quasi-force Jedi people sword and lightsaber, which is always fun when you have, you know, Lightsabers against not lightsabers. Yeah. Right. Especially when you have a weapon that can actually handle a lightsaber because everything else they generally just cut in half. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because didn't she and um, Mandalorian have like like like, like, a, like a, the Beskar spear, right? That she was fighting Ahsoka with, right? Yes. That was, yeah. that was, so, where, yes. That was so where he got same, it. Same idea. That's where he got it from. Yeah. So. All right. And then we wrap things up where they're all strapped on Peridia as the Chimera goes back home. You know, Ezra's there, of course. So we got that. At the time, I didn't see that one coming, I'll admit, and we'll get to that here in a second. And, um, you know, they're all just perfectly happy and calm and fine that they're stuck here forever. They're just going to hang out with their little naughty friends and, you know, drive around from place to place in little shell caravans while Anakin's force ghosts there looking all creepy and lurky and, you know, smiling at them. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. You know, you know, and Thrawn and Morgan are going to cause who knows what kind of havoc back in their galaxy. I mean, maybe they think Ezra being there will help or he'll do something, or at least he'll alert the Republic that, you know, hey, Thrawn is here, hello. You know, and they'll do something? Nah. You know, the ship shows up at Hera's flagship or whatever, and he gets off, you know, takes his helmet off, you know, from the night trooper armor he's wearing, and you know, Hera's like, Ezra! And he runs and hugs her, and hugs Chopper, and everything's happy, and it's like, um, hello, Admiral Thrawn? Out there? Hello? <laughs> right, and... I'm I'm just hoping that that was you know the next reaction that we just didn't get to see, but um I I will throw one more since I think again callbacks in Rebels Ezra was always known for uh, dressing up in Imperial helmets and uh, mm -hmm. has little collection of helmets and stuff yeah so this was kind of a cool odd you know a nod to let him you know dress up like a stormtrooper uh, one of Thrawn's troopers and then use that as his 
method of getting back. Yeah, and we, we have to have the big, you know, re- reunion scene, like the final reunion scene of, of Ezra meeting whoever's left, which is you know Hera and Chopper, and at some point that will, you know, we didn't see a what's his name, the Zeb. I'm gonna blank on. Yeah, Zeb, because I guess he's. I think we saw a cameo of him in another like Mandalorian or something, right? Yeah, yeah, he was with the pilots when when they did the Mandalorian. Yeah. That's what I was saying. It'd be cool to have him be on the the X-wing squadron, but uh, yeah, he's a he was with the pilots. Yeah, so yeah, of course you have to have your big reunion scene. So okay, fine. You know, yeah, maybe like you said, the, the, you know, the, the next sentence would be, "Hey, by the way, you know, <laughs> I know where Thrawn is. Let's go get him." You know, but that's season two apparently. So, and then I guess the the final final bit. Well, I guess that was the final bit, but. No, it was, this was the final bit. Um, we cut back to Pridia, where, hey, here's where Balin's been for a little bit. He's on this mountain, and we see that it's kind of like, he's kind of like out on like the arms of one of the statues of the Mortis Gods that we saw from the Clone Wars series, which, again, for those people that don't remember or weren't watching the show, so you're like, okay, he's on the statue like Lord of the Rings. What's that mean? I don't know. Those are like the like, kind of like the beings outside of time and space that embodied like the various aspects of the Force. Like there was the dark side, which was the sun, the light side that was the daughter whose statue was there, just kind of like a headless. So it, all three of them were there, I, I read. You, you can only just see the two statues. And then the balance of the force, which was the father. So now thinking about it, okay, that's why they're still there. That's why Ahsoka and team are still there. And that's got to be what part of season two is going to be about. Like this continuing, what's Balin sensing and what's he going to come across that helps him like regenerate the Jedi or whatever he wants to do, you know, reform like his version of the Jedi or whatever, maybe into, and that we might get to more into the Jedi Sith and Night Sister lore and history around them and the Force itself, because that's kind of what, what the whole Mortis Gods were, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, I love world building and history, you know, both in real life and especially with IP that I love and have been invested in for 50 years, like Star Wars. So I'm all up in that. Let's, let's get more of that, which hopefully will be soon after the strike ends, if ever. But yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm right there with you. I mean, this is, this is, one of the things that draws me in, right? I mean, I've been, I read all the books. I've been into all the things. I, I, I dive deep into this as much as I can and, and just really enjoy it. So totally agree. This is, this is the stuff I want to learn more about. And I, I like I said, I, I hate that the actor died, but I really hope they recast Balin and let us dive into this some because there's all kind of cool things. Like, you know, if you go back to the, I think it was like the Clone Wars episodes where this was originally introduced, mm-hmm. um, the daughter was actually killed, which is why the statue is damaged. And the power from the daughter, I don't know if it was her spirit or power or what, was was transferred into Ahsoka. So Ahsoka is linked to the daughter to the point that the owl that you see associated with Ahsoka in like the World Between Worlds, and I think it was one of the guides you saw on, on Pridia for her, was the daughter's owl originally. So there's a pretty strong link between those two. So... You know, the fact that she's still on Pridia also, while Balin's looking for the power you know, and the statues of the son and father, are, uh, I think are all going to be tied together. Yeah, I was reading on, on Wikipedia that, you know, because I've, I've forgotten all the details, details about the episode. But yeah, like, you know, the, the father wound up killing himself to prevent the son from, like, influencing Anakin to, like, showing him, like, his ultimate endpoint of Darth Vader so that he wouldn't go down that route because he was supposed to bring balance to the Force. So, you know, he wiped Anakin's memory, he killed himself so he wouldn't get pulled into the dark side. Okay, grand scheme of things, that didn't work out as well as he planned. <laughs> but, so yeah, so yeah, you have, you have the dark side that was Anakin, you got the light side that I guess is Ahsoka. So now it's like, well, yeah, where's the balance now, right? So, I don't know, maybe that's, what, that's why Balin's there. Who knows? So, 
Yeah, because maybe orange is the balance, right? Yeah, and plus to learn more about the Force, like where it came from, maybe how it evolved or was created, or you know, did these Mortis gods create the Force, or did they train like the Night Sisters here in this galaxy first, and then when when they came over to what you want to call it, the Star Wars galaxy or whatever, you know, then they it got out over there, and then the, the Jedi picked it up or whatever. I don't know, you know, it's 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 gonna be cool how they go into that or how they plumb those depths. I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, like you say, they've got you've got. The Night Sisters, which originated over here, and you've got the Jedi, which had stories and fables that Balin talks about of being from here. So, yeah, this this place evidently has a lot of history with the origination of the Force in the what we know as the Star Wars galaxy from this place. So, yeah, and like those giant statues in like Return of the King and stuff. I mean, these weren't small statues; these were like giant things. So, I mean, people really had to like want to deal with these these beings to make these giant statues of them so they meant something <laughs> so yeah for sure it will definitely be interesting to see where this goes yeah. which hopefully it will go somewhere and there'll be a season two because you can't just leave us here <laughs> right it's got, either it's gotta be like the the, the felony movie like we talked about before but i think we came on that's gonna wrap up bad batch you know, all the live action Star Wars stuff and animations, you know, Bad Batch, Mandalorian, Ahsoka, you know, all that. It's going to, you know, and well, Andor's going to end it on its own, but this is kind of unrelated. But, you know, will it be in the movie that ends this stuff or talks about it? Or is season two going to get greenlit and go into more of this? I don't know. But either way, please do something with this because you can't just leave us here with this. <laughs> yeah. I, hope, I mean, hopefully, whichever one they can do a good job on and get out first, you know, I don't know if they're going to save it for the movie, but those take forever. You know, can we get it? another season to kind of put us in a better posture for the movie you know whatever they can pull off would be great so yeah because trying to wrap all this up into a movie you, you can't you're, you're gonna shortchange something so please do like a whole season two where you get like you know episodes of time to devote to force lore and history and you know <laughs> so. right all right so that was a long recap discussion because we had eight episodes to talk about but hey at least it's eight episodes not 23 <laughs> so <laughs> so any final thoughts or anything you wanted to bring up that we didn't really talk about? Uh, the only one I didn't mention that I was going to was when we were talking about kind of cameos and, and actors. I did want to mention that my understanding, I think from reading is that the guy who plays Thrawn is the guy who voiced him in the Rebels series. So that's kind of a neat tie. in I always like when they let the voice actors come in and actually play the part, right? They did it with, I almost say Kara Thrace, but that was her Starbuck uh, <laughs> name from, uh, Galactica, but uh, Katie Sackhoff got to do the Mandalorian character that I'm blanking on her name of. Boy, I'm, I'm losing all kind of credit here. But anyway, you know, Thrawn was kind of one of the epic ones, so I wanted to kind of throw that in there. Yeah, now you make me blank on her too, and I can't remember. <laughs> but yes, we are Star Wars fans, really. Oh, <laughs> as if, you, as if you couldn't tell from the last hour and a half, we really love Star Wars. Yeah, just names, man. Yeah, you know, but and like we said, Star Wars names, man. You know. <laughs> But yeah, definitely, you know, it was a thumbs up season. It was fantastic. I love it. Again, anything it delves into the history of the show and doesn't like warp it and like throw away what's ever happened for the last 50 years, I'm all for that. So, you know, <laughs> bring on season two, please. All right. So that's it for Star Wars for a bit. Um, on the next podcast, we'll go back to at least talking about a Farscape episode, and if you're listening to that stuff, that will be Farscape Season 3, Episode 18, Fractures. So, if we want to do our usual guessing game of what does that mean, you know, sure, why not? 
it's, my, it's our podcast. We talk about anyone. So, if you recall, the the cast is still separated or fractured, if you will. <laughs> hey, look at that. So there's fractures among the crew. Stark left after the last episode, uh, which is probably good because Aaron wants to kill him. Aaron probably also wants to kill Crace because Crace killed her mom in the in the last episode, which was just as they made up and were probably not going to have anything bad happen to them. And then Crace blows her away. <laughs> Oops. Chiana and Jewel don't like each other, as we saw. So, and again, this is like episode 18. There's only 22 in the season. So we have to relate the crew at some point. And I think that some point has to be this time because we're running out of episodes. <laughs> so, and then we have to do the whole Aaron and the other or the remaining Crichton thing because that's not the one she fell in love with and had all the wonderful times with. So, well, at least up until they split off. So, yeah, I'll I'll go with all of that because like I completely you, you you didn't say anything wrong. If I had to throw out one other weird conspiracy theory, you know, since we've got the Crichton thing going on, and I feel like they kind of need to shortcut some way of getting past the other Crichton, and he doesn't have all the memories of the other guy and all that. I, I'm wondering if the if Stark's mask has anything to do with it because remember that, that when Stark left, he left his mask behind for some weird reason and said they give it to Crichton so I'm hoping it does something to link the the Crichton that passed over with the Crichton that is still here and maybe it, it, it keeps his mind from being fractured between the two halves I don't know I'm making stuff up but no hey yeah you weave the title in there I like it that's good yeah yeah I mean it could be because you know he said Crichton will know what to do with it he will okay let's yeah, that's, that's <laughs> let, weird let, sure. let, let's find well, sure why not let's find out he's gonna so, hang it on the wall and make a decoration out of it I don't know yeah I mean Maybe it's Halloween next time, and he'll put the mask on, and like, hey, look, I'm just, I'm, look, I'm Stark. I don't, you know, <laughs> and, so, and something will happen. And then maybe also on the second half of the show, we might cover the first half of Loki, the new Marvel series, season two, because as we record this, I think that's uh, over halfway over. So <laughs> we should probably start covering that because, as you can tell from this podcast, doing a whole season of one show takes a while on one podcast, <laughs> and it's kind of messy. <laughs> so. Yeah, unfortunately, that means I have some homework to do because I haven't started that one yet. So Yeah, I have not watched a single episode of Loki Season 2 yet. And I've stayed, fortunately, mostly spoiler-free. So cause as soon as I see like a Facebook thing or a news article, I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And just <laughs> fast, scroll fast as I can past it without trying to read the title. So Yeah, same, I think. I don't think I've seen anything because I've dodged everything for the last little bit between Ahsoka and that, so... Yeah, or at least things I've seen, they haven't spoiled it in the in the two line title. It's like you know, this is the reason why this thing happened, but they don't say the thing. So okay, good, thank you. So <laughs> I, can, I can at least enjoy the season without going. Where's the thing that they said was going to happen? So, <laughs> so that's your homework. Uh, Farscape season three, episode eighteen, and the first half of Loki season two. So we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.